I'm going to... So our focus today is on Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Let's read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning. Now notice it's O-U-R in crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give him drink. I will give to, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. If you could make anything new, what would it be? What are you thinking of? I'm sure you aren't thinking of a new family or a new spouse or new children. You're probably thinking of things that you could rather make right. You're probably thinking of restoration or renewal. You probably wouldn't even want yourself to be different. Though we can get down on ourselves many times and say, oh, I'm so this or I'm so that. I need to be better at this. You probably aren't thinking of new stuff. Oh, I could use a new car or I could use a new, I'm thinking of vacation right now. I could use a new bass boat to go fishing. (laughs) You aren't thinking about stuff. You're probably not even thinking about a new but rather you're probably thinking about the people around you made whole people who are sick to be made well people who have died to be brought back to life family members restored into right relationship with God and their family family members taken by death to be made alive If you're anything like me, that's what you're thinking about. I wish I could make things new. I wish I could make things right, but I can't. There's only one who's worthy to open the scroll, remember? And the one who is worthy says this, I am making everything new. The grand story that's woven throughout the Bible is a story of everything being made new. And if it was truly new, we wouldn't even recognize it or have memory of it, right? If everything was new, we'd have no recollection. It would just be the beginning of something. But that's not the type of 
newness that we see is going on here. What we see is not just new, it's a renewal. This is the understanding behind it. Even the resurrection, though it's a new body, it's actually the same body, yet not the same. And the life that God gives, this new life, is the same life, yet a different quality of life. And the new heaven and the new earth are not a different heaven and a different earth. It's the same, yet not the same. This is the vision. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away. He said, I saw there was no sea. Now, isn't that kind of a bummer? (laughs) Who likes the sea? I like the sea. The sea is beautiful. But what we have to understand is the sea is a representative of chaos and death. You know, the doctrine of creation, ex nihilo, that's the Latin word for out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. Now, when we think of nothing, we think of like this space. Like if I were to say, what's in this circle that I'm drawing? You would say, well, it's nothing. But actually, there's dust in this space. Even if there was no dust, even if it was a vacuum, there would still be measurable space. There wasn't even measurable space. There was nothing, and God created something. The only thing that was, or I should say the only thing that is, is God. And he created the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So there's the sea. Even before he created the land and the sea, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There was chaos. And then God spoke, let there be light. He brought order out of that chaos. And he created light and darkness. He created the skies, the heavens above and the waters below. He created dry land. And the sun and moon and the stars to govern and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea to fill those two domains of the sky and the seas. And he created land animals, crawling and creeping things. And the crown of his creation on the land and all creation is humanity. And really what we see here of this six days of creation, really it's these three domains and then the filling of those domains, the governors of those domains. That's how that's constructed. So if this is the creation account, and God says, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth, and there is no sea, he's not completely saying this is a totally different creation. He's saying, I'm restoring everything, and there will be no chaos. There will be only order. No disorder, no lifelessness full of life. Now, heaven is more than the skies. If you read heaven in the Old Testament, he created the heavens and the earth. You know, wherever God is, that's where heaven is. You could translate heaven as just skies. There'd be a new heaven, a new earth. Heaven is more than the skies. It's the name of God's dwelling place. 
And this holy city, this new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven from God, yes, it's coming from the sky, from our perspective. It is a city unlike any other city. This, in this city, God is the mayor. He's the king. God is the council that governs. He is the city planner that plots out the land and the buildings. He is the judge. He's the one who brings order and beauty. This new Jerusalem. Here's another image. I have no clue what this is going to look like, but here's just a few pieces of our ancient art and more modern art. And the earth, the land, is the dwelling place of humanity. And our cities are unlike God's cities. Amen? You ever watched the news recently? Not even everything makes the news. There's darkness in our cities. You know, there are 271 homicides in 2021 just in Indianapolis. The deadliest ever for our city. 271. And some think that pace is not going to decrease this year. Oh, how we long for a new city. How we long for our city to be restored. This new Jerusalem is coming from heaven. And this new Jerusalem is not like the Jerusalem on the earth. It's not like our cities. It is from heaven. It's from God's dwelling place. And it is prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now you could say, oh, I thought the church was the bride of Christ. It's not saying this is the bride. This is coming down prepared as a bride. It's not the bride. It's coming as a bride, pure, a virgin, no one has ever lived there except God. Beautiful. And God's, but this announcement is made, the dwelling of God is now with men and he will live with them. But this is a new earth. The land and the people are receptive to God. They're receptive to his advent. Now, this is the second advent of Christ. Do you know the first advent of Christ? Where heaven came down in the person of Jesus Christ. He tabernacled among us. And what does John say about this advent? He came, advent just means come. He came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, who all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So he came first, and we did not receive him. But this time, the second advent, he comes, and we must receive him. There is no option. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He is coming. And now's the time to receive. So in this grand story of scripture, God is living with his creation in the Garden of Eden. Everything's right, everything's perfect, there's order. 
But yet Adam and Eve exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they are exiled from the garden. And God calls his man named Abram. He gives him a new name, Abraham, father of many nations. He tries to have a son by his maidservant, Hagar, but God says, no, I'm giving you a son through your wife, Sarah, even though you guys are old in your age, old in age. And out of his family, this line of Abraham comes Isaac and Jacob. And this nation grows great in the land of Egypt. They become slaves in Egypt and then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And while in the wilderness, God gives them this process of forgiveness called a sacrificial system. In order to have this, he must have priests. And in order to have priests, you must have a tabernacle. So they construct the tabernacle. And God said, I'm going to have my presence dwell here. And I will be for you. Then later on, Jesus is sent into the world. And his presence is not just for us. His presence is actually with us. We have the Father who is for us. We have the Son who is with us. And when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he said, I'm going to give you power from on high, stay in the city. And as soon as he ascended into heaven, they went and they prayed. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and he filled his people. And here we are today, still with God's Holy Spirit indwelling in us, longing for the second advent, where the holy city will come down. This is the grand story of scripture. God who is for us gets closer. God who is with us and he gets closer. God who is in us and he's coming closer to bring his whole presence completely to earth. To renew us. To renew all of creation. In other words, the story of scripture is God dwelling closer. Sorry, God moving closer and closer to his creation. This is the good news of This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to try to get closer to God. Rather, God has come to get closer to us. And of course, because he's coming closer to us, we want to be close to him. God crossed the great boundary for us in Christ. Now hear the rally cry of the heavens. Oh, one more thing. It's not just a certain people group. It's every nation. Every nation represented. Every generation. Every language. What a wonderful picture of God's kingdom. Where we we are united by one Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the rally cry from the heavens. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, do you recognize the impossibility of this statement? This is impossible. There are many people on the earth who want peace between nations. I'm one of them. Aren't you? Lord, give us peace. Lord, unify us, right? I'm one of them. Bring unity. 
it's just a pipe dream if there's no God who's coming to reconcile sinners to himself. This is an immense global promise, yet it's also an, immense, an intimately close promise. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. We will belong to him and he will belong to us. This echoes the song in Song of Solomon. My beloved is mine and I am his. Now, isn't that incredible that people from every nation can say that. That this God of creation, this God who sent his son into the world, uh, can say, no matter where I have come from, no matter what I have done, that in Christ, I belong to God. I'm his beloved. And that's the same, that's the same thing that's true for us today. My beloved is mine and I am his. Now what's absent? Here's what's coming, but what's absent? He says there's no more sea. Does that mean there's gonna be no more water? I don't, I don't think so. I think it just means no more chaos, no more fear. I love watching the water. I love being out in, on a calm night. I'm not out there on a stormy night, on a windy night. Why? Because the water is scary. The sea is scary. The lakes are scary. But on a calm night, when the mosquitoes aren't out, and the sun's setting, I'm out there if I'm in Minnesota. I can't really do that here in Indiana. But there's no sea. There's no chaos, no disorder. There's no death. There's no mourning, no wailing, no crying, no pain. Now, if you were to go up to anybody and say, if, here, I have, have I got a great deal for you? How would you like a life where there's no chaos, there's no death, there's no mourning, no crying, and no pain? Would you like that life? And the people who where everything's going perfectly fine, they would say, that's impossible. And the people who are actually suffering and feeling all that, they would say, oh yes, please deliver me. It's only when you're actually in it that you long to be delivered from it. But everything's, if everything's perfectly fine, you're like, ah, that's just part of life. Until it happens to you. When the demeanor changes, God, changes, God deliver me. The worst parts of life are not present. Now, here's the crazy thing about this. I remember saying this to Phil maybe a, a year and a half ago. I love music. Of course, Phil loves music. Some of the most beautiful music is brought out of these experiences of death, mourning, crying, and pain. And people could say, well, if, if this is absent, then we lose really humanity and we can't have the arts like we used to. I'd say, no, this is in the midst of pain, mourning and suffering and crying and all this stuff that's just the junk of living. God allows there to be redemption and beauty in that because he's at work. He's in the process of making everything new. And so we have a hope and a longing for something better. 
And someday it'll culminate in this wonderful absence of death. I look forward to that. Sin is not part of the new creation. Amen? He says, I'm making everything new. We're going back to Eden in a way. Back to living with God. It's not going forward into something that's totally out there and foreign and unfamiliar. But back to God's complete rule and reign, something that we've longed for from the very beginning. And so the Lord commands John, to, he says, write this down. Now, if you're having a vision from the Lord and you don't have a pen, and then he says, write this down, you're scrambling for something to write it down with. So he find, finds a way to write it down. In other words, communicate it. Remember this. And here's what he says. He said, it is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. To him who is thirsty, do you thirst? What do you long for? Are you hungry? What do you hunger for? Are you lacking anything? What are you lacking? And can you provide that for yourself? And I'm guessing the answer is no. Because if you could provide for yourself, and I'm not talking about literal hunger and literal thirst. We have food and drink downstairs if anybody needs that. What I'm talking about is, is eternal life. Life without death. Do you thirst? I will give you drink without cost. Now why is this free? Do you not know that Jesus paid that price for you and for me? Eternal life without cost. It cost God everything. He paid it all. But for us, it's a gift. It's grace. This is the economics of the kingdom of God. It's an invitation to the poor. And really, if we sit long enough we understand that we're all part of that group. No matter how much money is in our bank account, we're all poor. And it's the poor in spirit who realize it. I need God. It's an announcement to the rich. Do you thirst? To him who's thirsty, I'll give you water to drink without cost. The economics of the kingdom don't come from supply and demand. Where the earth says value is dependent upon scarcity, Heaven says value is dependent upon the source. And this water comes from the source of all life, God himself, this endless supply, the spring of water welling up to eternal life. It is from Jesus Christ, who's at the center of the throne, opening the scroll that we can't. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water, I give him. He's talking to the woman at the well at this point. In John chapter 4. If you would have known who's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink. Whoever drinks the water I give him, 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you know what the woman says? Sir, give me this water. I'll give you this water without cost because I paid the cost, he says. If you could make anything new, what would it be? Has that changed for you? If God is making everything new, then how shall we live? There's a better question. If God's making everything new, how shall we live? I want to give you, this is my one minute sermon. Shall we live courageously? Shall we live fearless and bold? Not holding tightly to anything, but being generous because God is generous. Shall we live prayerfully? Praying not for stuff or better circumstances, but praying for him, the one who gives us this water, this eternal life. Shall we be hopeful? Shall we live hopeful lives, having an optimistic worldview that God is going to restore the whole earth. I was in a conversation just this week with a friend of mine. He's become my friend. I, I enjoy talking with him very much. And in this conversation, I, I asked him his view of, we, we talked about climate change, and I was like, so what's your view of the end of the world? He says, well, I think the earth will just consume humanity, and the earth will go on, but humanity will stop. It's a very naturalistic view. The earth is going to continue whether we like it or not. It's just our humans going to destroy themselves. That's, that's the view. And so I share with him my view of God who's going to restore all things. And I just ask him, is that such an optimistic worldview? He goes, yeah, it is. He couldn't deny that. I don't think I convinced him, but that wasn't my point. The point was just the conversation. We live with hope. If there's any people on the earth who have great hope, it ought to be the ones who follow Jesus. Right? If God is making everything new, how shall we live? We shall live with hope. How shall we live? Here's the last one. We shall live gospel full. Hopeful. Prayerful. The word I'm making up, gospel full, full of the gospel. Spread the good news. Jesus is making everything new. Now, I love that I am making everything new. It's an imperfect tense. He doesn't say, someday I will have made everything new. What's the difference? One is complete. I will have made everything new. One is complete in the, in the future. It's going to be done. But what happens when you will have, what happens when you build a house and you're done? You still have to maintain that house? Fix all the leaks? Repair things? Jesus says, I am making everything new. It is a constant renewal. 
There will be no drudgery, no dullness of life. Don't, don't you get kind of annoyed by the same mundane tasks in, this, in life? But then when you have something fresh and new, it's like, well, this is great. I am making everything new. He will always be renewing in the new creation. That's good news. And lastly, if God is making everything new, what is God making new today? I want to tell you it's people. The new creation's coming. But right now, God is in the business of making people new. You and me, our neighbors. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And I wonder if you have not received the Lord or even said, God, will you make me new? I believe in you, but I feel like I need a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit. I need new bread. Will you make me new today? I want to follow you full of life, unlike I've ever followed you before. I want to love you in ways that I've never loved you before. I want to give myself to others in ways that I've never given myself before. Will you make me new? Lord Jesus, we, we ask you, since you're making things new, would you start in us today? We trust you, we love you, we give ourselves to you as you've given yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna enter into our time of communion. Kids are gonna come in, we'll partake together.